Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we will continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. This evening will afford us the opportunity to talk about that thorn in St. Paul's side, okay? Uh, That word that has been a point of many reflections of many scholars through the years. This will also allow us to talk about St. Paul's prayer life a little bit, because he gives us a hint at what that looks like in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, so I very much look forward to that. Now, before we jump into that, I did just want to thank you for being patient with me. I know I have been gone over, oh, the past week or so. Uh, I went to a training conference. I, along with others, um, we'll be coming together to help form seminarians, so I ask that you pray for me and uh, this team for that, specifically for the Archdiocese of L.A. And, and other dioceses as they wish to get involved. So if you can pray for me on that endeavor, that would be great. And also, uh, my wife and I and our family, we went out to Lake Tahoe for a very short family vacation. And I do want to talk about that a little bit. You know, for those of you who remember, we were in Lake Tahoe a few months ago, and it was after that time where I was made to reflect into St. Thomas Aquinas in that great line where he says, all wisdom begins with a vision from the hilltop. And a couple months ago, I noted that St. Thomas says, all wisdom begins with the vision from the hilltop because from the hilltop, you have access to higher ground, right? You can see all the interconnectedness, if you will. You can see the mountain beyond the mountain, the river beyond the river, and of course, in the case of Lake Tahoe, the water beyond the water, the pine trees beyond the pine trees, the rock beyond the rock. You can see all of the interconnectedness, and as you do, you can see the beauty, okay, the beauty of how things are connected. And so applying it to virtue, St. Thomas says all wisdom begins with a vision from the hilltop, because we can begin to see why things happen as they do. And I speak to that because certainly it is going to be a point of reflection as we engage 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now that being said, there is something else here I did want to speak to, and that's just that general sense of why we go on a retreat or why we go on a vacation. You know, I was reflecting upon this a great deal just not over the past few days, but over the past week, because I did have the opportunity to be on both retreat and go on a vacation. And in doing so, it allowed me to drink from the fountain of refreshment. And there's something about being refreshed in the spiritual life. There is a reason why Benedict XVI really encouraged us to go on retreat two times a year. There's a reason why St. John Paul II encouraged us to go on family vacations, because he and they wanted us to breathe a new air, a new air that we can breathe once we've accessed that higher ground. Okay, so 
over this past week, as I have been reflecting upon this, it really did hit me that this really lies at the heart of our faith to the degree that we are called to give glory to God in all that we do. How can we possibly give glory to God if we are bombarded with everyday life and we don't withdraw? Or if we just slip into that routine of just getting by? Huh? This isn't what the spiritual life is about. We go about our days just not for the sake of paying bills and putting food on our table. Now, that's a part of life for sure. But we go about our days to give glory to God. And we do so that we might come into a deeper understanding of God's purpose in our life. Certainly, this is what St. Paul would have us reflecting upon. We have already talked about this on more than one occasion just in these two epistles, and he talks about it everywhere in all of his epistles. So, discovering our purpose in life, coming to understand that when we study our faith, it's just not about accumulating knowledge as much as it is discovering our purpose and living that purpose out. So let us keep this in the backdrop as we explore 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Okay, if you have your Bibles out, if you want to turn to those verses, and I will go ahead and read. Therefore, that I might not become too elated, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan to beat me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it might leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. For power is made perfect in weakness. I will rather boast most gladly of my weakness, in order that the power of Christ may dwell with me. Therefore I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, these are some just not rich verses, my friends, but I know for all of us, and we're going to talk about this, very challenging verses, very challenging verses. So here in these set of verses, we have arrived at the climax, if you will, of Paul's boast, as he explains why he has decided to boast only about his weaknesses. After referring to a painful thorn in the flesh given to him to prevent him from becoming overly proud, what does he do? He tells the Corinthians that he fervently prayed for its removal. And then Paul reveals the risen Lord's answer to that prayer. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. And so it is, my friends, buoyed with this promise. He has resolved to be content with weaknesses and hardships, knowing that the power of Christ is at work in him. Okay, that's a very important phrase, in him. So here in these verses, Paul discloses the main reason for recounting the revelatory experiences that we talked about last week, those experiences, what was it, 14 years ago, right? Clearly, it is the aftermath of that experience that has had lasting significance for him. Now, God did something to keep him from being too elated at receiving such a wondrous revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the thorn. Paul reports that a thorn in the flesh was given to him. That God is the subject of this action is significant and signified by the use of the divine passive, right? Was given. 
We talked about that last week, right? That divine passive. This isn't being weak. No, that is allowing yourself to be moved by something outside of you. Okay, that is to allow yourself to be moved by God. Now, the word flesh is used here in the broader sense of physical life. Thus, the thorn causes uh, serious and this kind of ongoing annoyance in his life, right? Now, what precisely is this thorn with which Paul is afflicted? As I said off the top, much scholarly interpretation has been devoted to this question. In general, there are three interpretations that have been offered up. The first one is that Paul suffered sexual temptations, an interpretation that is usually based on the Latin Vulgate's translation of these verses, stimulus carni, so there's a focus on the flesh being stimulated. While this interpretation was at one time widespread, it is not something that is talked about necessarily as often as these other interpretations. About those other interpretations, well, Second, since the time of St. John Chrysostom, so you're now going all the way back into the early church, it has been suggested that the thorn refers to those who opposed Paul in his ministry of proclaiming the gospel and founding churches such as the super-apostles. And lastly here, it is thought that he suffered some physical malady such as headaches, fevers, even maybe problems with the eyes if you were to go back into uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, and other verses, clearly we, we have that sense that he had problem with his eyes. And all throughout his epistles, we read of various illnesses. Now, while that last one is more or less the one that is widely accepted, I argue that it's all three. <laughs> I argue that the thorn is sexual temptation, that the thorn is that people were rejecting his proclamation of the gospel, that the thorn is more of those natural illnesses. Because, my dear friends, have we not struggled with all three of those? And if we are serious in the spiritual life, <laughs> are not all three of those a thorn? That's sexual temptation. The rejection of you proclaiming the gospel. Maybe an illness. Maybe you had a headache or a fever recently, and it has been a thorn in your side. I don't know about you, but it's especially those smaller illnesses that are a thorn in my side. But in what I just said, it is why these verses are so important. So let us continue to reflect. Paul's pain and distress are apparent as he informs the Corinthians that he Beg the Lord about this, that is, about the thorn that it might leave him. So something that is evident here is that St. Paul did not immediately perceive the divine initiative behind his affliction. Or it may be that if he did, he was not initially ready to accept that this was God's will for him. Isn't that interesting? This is St. Paul we are talking about. Consider that Paul begs three times to be relieved of this affliction. And what does that echo, by the way? Does that not echo our Lord's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? Paul's begging three times to be relieved of his affliction, my dear friends, echoes Jesus' threefold prayer in Gethsemane. 
on the night before he died that the cup of suffering be taken from him. I go there, and many commentaries go there, because how does that prayer conclude? How does that prayer conclude but with a petition to the Father, not what I will, but what you will? Similarly, Paul has now committed himself to aligning his will with the divine will, as revealed in the subsequent verse. What is the response to Paul's prayer? My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Clearly, what St. Paul needs most here is grace. That gift of divine life imparted to him at his baptism and the divine power that commissioned him to be an apostle. Grace. Grace is what the Lord continues to offer him. And my dear friends, grace is what the Lord continues to offer us. That gift that was given to us at baptism and that gift which has commissioned you to be a disciple of Christ. And his grace is sufficient. Why? Because paradoxically so, the mysterious divine power accomplishes its purpose in the arena of weakness. In the arena of weakness. Why? Well, my friends, because ultimately it is when we stop boasting of the I that we can begin to understand the divine purpose of the thou, right? If we are so caught up in what we are doing and we never ask God what we should do, then how are we going to accomplish his will? I think of my children. If it were up to my children, they would do a lot of things that would go against their father's will, <laughs> okay? I have to let them know that sometimes what they are doing isn't in their best interest. When my children come to me and ask me, hey, dad, what can I do? Or even moreover, what more can I do for you? My oldest son last week came up to me and he kept on asking me one time after another, is there anything else that I can do for you? And I was giving him chores to do around the house and chores to do outside. And I had begun to wonder, honestly, is he asking me this because he's wanting me to do something for him or he's trying to get something out of this? And I just thought, okay, you know, I'll let this play out. And you know, he didn't. He just wanted to help around the house. He just wanted to help dad out. And what was interesting there is I felt compelled to do something for him. I felt compelled to give him something. And this is what our Lord wants from us. Our Lord wants us to go to him. Lord, what more can I do for you? So we are not to spend all of our time on what we've accomplished, but ask God, what more can I do? What more can I do? And when you do that, like my child was doing with me, you are in the pursuit of God's will. And what is that gift that God the Father gives to us? that gift of grace, that gift of strength to do what we need to do. I cannot impart such a gift to my child. At best, I can provide for his needs and, and be present to him as a father is called to be present to their child. But my dear friends, God the Father has something extraordinary for us, and that is his grace. And his grace is made powerful in our weakness. The more my child was less concerned about what he wanted to do, <laughs> the 
the more he was disposed to me. And that, again, is what the spiritual life is all about. Okay, you know, this whole discussion of the thorn and, you know, a messenger of Satan is in these verses. Some have asked if the devil is good because he is useful. And that would be a mistake to think that way. We respond that ultimately he is only evil, but God, who is good and almighty, draws from the devil's malice and brings about many good things. What do we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 20? Where sin arises, grace abounds all the more. Here I'm thinking of the atrocity of what happened a few days ago in Las Vegas, where roughly 60 were killed and several hundred more were injured. Was that a good thing? Well, of course it wasn't. Of course it wasn't. But as President Trump said in his initial address, God is with the brokenhearted. That's an important phrase because God is with the brokenhearted. And God will take this atrocious thing, this horrific thing, and bring something good out of it, as he already has. People are donating millions of dollars to the families that have been affected by those who have lost loved ones and or to those families who have family members who have been significantly injured. Millions of dollars have been given to people on the heels of this atrocious event. This event, my friends, was pure evil. And yet, out from this evil, God uses it for the greater good. God brings people together. Have we not seen this time and time again in the history of our great nation? Here I'm thinking of 911, the kind of love that came out from the heart of man to those who are most in need in the city of New York, especially again to those who lost loved ones. So my dear friends, what we are made to see is that God brings good out of something atrocious. The devil possesses a will, a will that is bent on evil, not the providence of God that brings good from him, as St. Augustine would remind us. In the end, do we not have the cross to focus on here? In the end, do we not have that statement, oh, happy fault? That is to say, on that most tragic day in human history where man decided to put God to death, we say, oh, happy fault, because God overcame evil, and in overcoming evil, he ransoms man from its grasp, the grasp of evil. And he does so because the greatness and the power of his grace, the power of his grace. There is a reason why St. Paul says, where sin arises, grace abounds all the more. You know, isn't it interesting that St. Paul says, I preach Christ crucified. I preach Christ crucified. St. Paul preaches Christ crucified, not only in the context of how we talk about it right now, as God becoming man, ransoming us from the grasp of evil so as to draw us into his very bosom in his grace. But with his body, he preaches Christ crucified with his body. Brothers and sisters, prayer is conversation with God, right? So prayer involves the communication of a particular language. When we are suffering in our bodies and we offer up that suffering to God, that suffering in our bodies to God, then are we not praying? 
This is why you've heard me say, fasting is praying with the body. St. Paul is preaching Christ crucified in word, yes, but also in his body. He proclaims this kind of gospel of suffering, that our suffering has redemptive value. And isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? It's really interesting that these sets of verses offer us an intimate look into St. Paul's prayer life as he shares with the Corinthians his intense prayer to be relieved of suffering. On the one hand, the fact that he prayed three times in hope of relief really does confirm that it is good and, and right to pray this away. On the other hand, it is necessary to do so with an understanding that there needs to be an underlying surrender to God's will. What does the Catechism of the Catholic Church tell us? Paragraph 1508. Even the most intense prayers do not always obtain the healing of all illnesses. In fact, in the case of St. Paul here, he was led to understand that to be true. What is that all-important verse that comes to us from Colossians chapter 1, verse 24? That his sufferings was filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of the body, which is the church. St. Paul could only come to such an understanding because he was willing to listen as he prayed. Not my will, but thy will be done. As important as petitionary prayer is, Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is essential that we grow in our willingness and ability to listen to God. Remember that obedience itself means what but to listen. It is also instructive to note that the Greek word for obey best translates as to listen under. To listen under. Does this not suggest that humble attentiveness in prayer leads not only to knowledge of God's will, but also the power to make it our own and ultimately to better understand our purpose in life. Can we not all recall an occasion when we found ourselves with a task or problem that seemed well beyond our resources? Maybe at such times it is tempting to become discouraged Maybe we focus on our shortcomings. However, my dear friends, I am hopeful that you have also experienced the great consolation that is God's grace and those all-important words, in me, you can do anything. In me, you can do anything. And whatever that anything is for you, my friends, that anything being the one thing, the particular thing that God has before you, turn to God. Trust God. In the end, my friends, these sets of verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, is not only a catechesis on surrender to God in our suffering, taking our thorns and offering them to God, but also, also a catechesis on trust. Ultimately, St. Paul gives us an illustration of what is real, okay? <laughs> because each and every one of us have thorns, and each and every one of us indeed 
need to learn from St. Paul, imitating St. Paul, as St. Paul himself imitates Christ, right? Christ himself, as the Son of God, surrendered to the Father. So does Paul, and so should we. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift of being able to reflect into the richness and beauty of your word, your word that pierces hearts, your word that has transformed men, your word that has brought about saints. Indeed, to marinate in your inspired word, Heavenly Father, (laughs) is to live a life inspired. We can only do good if we are rooted in you. And so it is we study your word, mindful of the words of St. Jerome, ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.